that today we begin a six-week follow-up uh, on the Resurrection Sunday of Easter last week by spending six weeks in the book of First, uh, the book of First Corinthians, uh, the fifteenth chapter. Uh, Paul's great writing to the church uh, of Corinth. And uh, the reason is it's because it explains for us in great detail, and we'll find out why Paul had to do that, uh, that, we had, we, that we entitled it The Day Death Died because that's, that's the essence of what Paul is talking about. And that has such a profound influence and effect uh, upon our lives, not just for uh, eternity, not just for facing death, but for facing every day to know that we have a risen Savior. And we have to ask, well, why is it so important that we study this for six weeks and look at this? And I think one of the, one of the great reasons for that is because of some of the prevailing uh, feelings or uh, attitudes uh, about death that are in, uh, in our culture today. Uh, one person expressed it this way and just said, I'm just scared to death of dying. There's a great fear of dying that's still present in, uh, in our culture today. But not just today. I mean, you can even go back and you can trace it, it, it all the way back to, to Job. You remember Job asked the question, if a man die, will he live again? Uh, uh, king David, the great King David, the warrior David, the man after God's own heart. Evidently, there came some point in his life that in which he was fearful of death. Because in Psalm 55, David says, my heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death assail me. Fear and trembling have beset me. Horror has overwhelmed me. Now, fear of the unknown is a, is, a, is a normal response. When we don't know what's before us, you know, whether it's going off into the military, whether it's going that first day of school, whether it's going off to college, new day at the first day at your new job, whatever it might be, you know, that fear of the unknown is just always there. When we don't know what's out there, there's a little bit of fear. And, and so we haven't faced death. We've seen it hundreds of times, multiple times, many times. But, you know, it's still something else when we think about our own mortality. And there's a little bit of fear that reigns in all of us. And not only that, but there's also in our culture today a a prevailing spirit about um, a a fatalistic attitude about death and what awaits us after death. We've got a a video here about uh, an interview on the streets. And I want you to pay careful attention uh, to how people responded to the question about life and death. Uh, that open your eyes or ears to something pretty tragic? You know, I, uh, that's pretty sad for me. Uh, that's my reaction to that. I feel sorry for the people who say, I don't know, you know, or they say, when this body dies, that's it. That's the end. Some uh, seem like they were suggesting maybe some kind of reincarnation. Uh, some think, I'd like to believe in a heaven if there is one. But basically, overall, that's kind of a prevalent mood or thought pattern in our culture today about once you die, that's it. That's all there is. And the Bible tells us very clearly that that's not so. There's a resurrection for everybody. And then there is a judgment. The Bible in the the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. And uh, the judgment then determines uh, what we've done. You know, the judgment is based on what we've done with uh, Jesus Christ, accepting Him or rejecting Him. And then your resurrection is resurrection to an eternal destiny. It's either in heaven if you've embraced Jesus Christ as Savior and responded to Him, or it's in hell if you've uh, chosen not to respond to Him. So there's a, there's a, a lot of reasons why we need to look at this for, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, because it talks to us so profoundly uh, from the pen of the Apostle Paul. 
uh, about life and death and the issues in between and the, and the issues even beyond that. Paul doesn't mince words and he, he met the enemy head on. In verse 26 he says, the last enemy that will be abolished is death. And, and death is truly an enemy. You know, in the recent months we've watched people die in the life of our church and particularly those who are very close to, you know, family and friends. And as I was there with them as they died and went through such excruciating pain and agony, you know, I was reminded, I said, death is an enemy because it comes and it takes this body. And oftentimes it's a very painful, tragic death. And, 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 and we look at it that way. Uh, but Paul comes to us, even though he confronts death as an enemy, he comes to us, though, with the reality of the resurrection. And, and he doesn't just come to it uh, from a philosopher's lecture hall, uh, not from some cryogenics laboratory, not even a psychologist's office. But he takes us to the empty tomb where the angelic messengers greeted those women on the early morning of the first resurrection Sunday. And the angelic messenger said, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. He says, for that reason, because of that truth, that foundation principle, that when we look through 1 Corinthians 15, there's so much that we need to say that comes out of there. So we're going to spend six weeks looking at it, thinking about the day that death died. And it's one of the most comforting, it's one of the most uh, beautiful, it's one of the most wonderful, and at the same time it's one of the most challenging chapters you can find in the Bible. J.B. Phillips, a, a longtime Bible scholar, said it is the most important chapter in the Bible. And that's pretty strong to say that. Out of all the 66 books and of all the chapters in the Bible, that for one to be focused upon said this is the most important is 1 Corinthians 15. Now, what this really is, this chapter 15, is that it's a, a study of the relationship between life and death, of the triumph of eternal life in Christ over the fear of death, and of the absolute certainty that we can have our own bodily resurrection after death. And then there are other implications for us about how we live our life now and what the resurrection really means to our life now and, and what we should be like. So, these series of messages are designed then to challenge the claim of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in such a way that there will be no doubt in our minds that Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and His words in which He said, I am the, I am the resurrection and the life and because I live you too shall live, that they will be true for us and we can claim those. And then there's also a power there in that resurrection. That power that brought Jesus back from the dead is the power of God. And that power can be ours in our life for a sense of direction and purpose and mission for our life. And that changes how we live. And that talks about an entire change that the resurrection brings about to us. So, let's begin by looking at 1 Corinthians 15, first 11 verses. The Apostle Paul is writing and he says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you were saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that He appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. 
For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it was I or they, this is what we preach, and this is what you believed. As we come into 1 Corinthians 15, let me try to set the backdrop for you in the setting for this. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, and they're a fairly young church. They're young in their age because uh, they have not been Christians for very long, and the church itself might be described as, as an adolescent church, somewhere in its teenage years. And uh, those of us who have gone through the teenage years, those of us who are still going through that, you, you know, those, those can be some challenging times that you're wondering what's real, what's not real, what morals to accept. You're looking at uh, people to try to find a role model in life. You're trying to make some important decisions. You've got hormones that are going crazy. If you read all of 1 Corinthians' entire book, you will find that it was a church that had all kinds of issues. There was sexual immorality, sexual impurity. Uh, they had problems about the gifts that the Holy Spirit had given to them. That's why we find in, in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's great love letter, a love chapter that he wrote about love. And so, it was a, it was a church that was struggling. But the basic reason that they were struggling was that Paul discovered they really had not totally sold themselves out and completely embraced the impact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what it meant for their life. They, they, really, were, they really weren't totally sold on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so, Paul says in verse 12, now if Christ is preached that He has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? And that question follows the teaching that we're going to look at here in verses 1 through 11. So, what Paul does is he points out what the Corinthians did believe, and that is that Jesus Christ did rise from the dead. And that's the key to Paul's teaching about the fact that believers, you and me and everybody else who's ever believed in Jesus Christ, will be resurrected. And it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is the primary truth of our Christian faith. And that's why we talked last week on Easter Sunday about that the resurrection was the core of the preaching of the early church in the book of Acts. It's because it was so profound they had never experienced that before. But that was the affirmation point about the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, what Paul does is he goes to them uh, in this writing to give them three affirmations about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and about the gospel they heard so that they would be reminded of these things and so that they could understand the resurrection deal with the issue of culture around them which was influencing them just like it is today. And basically it was a Greek culture that taught them that there was no resurrection of the dead, that once you died that was the end of your life. And so here's what we hear when we go to what Paul says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. He starts out by reminding them of something. Rather than teaching them the gospel, he just simply says, I need to remind you of something. So, the first thing that Paul says is, remember the foundation of the gospel. Look in verse 1. He says, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you. He's not coming and preaching it to them for the first time. He'd already preached it to them. And they said they believed it, they embraced, and that they chose Jesus Christ. And so, Paul is saying, I need to remind you of the foundation of the gospel. 
And there's a sense of urgency, I think, with which Paul writes this and tells them. Because they have to rethink and review what it meant to them to hear the gospel and what the gospel really meant to them. Now, why do these believers need a a refresher course and a reminder? Well, it's the same reason you and I do. Sometimes we're not as strong in our faith as we should be. And for that reason then, instead of shaping the culture in which we live, the culture has a tendency to shape us and distort our views and our beliefs about God. I mean, are you prepared today to walk out of here and to confront somebody who says they're not a believer? Maybe one of these people in the video that said, once you die, that's it, you're gone, there is nothing else. And are you prepared to confront them with the reality of the resurrection and the good news of Jesus Christ and to tell them that they can believe in that and that they too can be raised to everlasting life? Most of us aren't because most of us aren't really totally sold out the way that Paul was and the way that we should be. So, I want you to listen to what Paul says in some phrases in verses 1 and 2 about what he told them and reminds them about the gospel and their salvation that was past, present, and future. The first phrase you hear is when he says, the gospel which you received. So, he's reminding them that they received the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. And he says, your lives were transformed as a result of that. That's what happens when we experience the encounter of the risen Christ. It's true not only for the Corinthian believers back then, but for you and for me today and for everybody else who hears the gospel, responds to it, and believes in Jesus Christ. See, many of you maybe can go back and and remember the day, the hour, and the place where you were when you came to know Christ and you received Him. And and that's great if you can do that. Others of us know that it was a it was a kind of a uh, a an evolutionary process in our faith for us to come to that point. And that's quite often the way that it is when somebody is brought up in a Christian home. And that they just hear the word of truth and they hear it and they hear it in the life of the church. That it's a logical sequence of events that they come to accept Christ. For others who didn't grow up in the church, or maybe some who did, it's still a radical transformation like Paul's life was. And we'll mention him a little bit later on. Now the second phrase Paul says is, on which you have taken your stand. You look in the original Greek language and the verb stand refers to a past action that was completed but with ongoing results. In other words, he's saying, you took your stand when you believed in Jesus Christ and you are still standing on that. And that is the gospel upon which you stand firm today. It is the foundation for your life and it is the only foundation for your life. And you see, in a world that challenges everything about Christianity... When we stand solid and firm on the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we stand protected and stabilized and secure. Then the next phrase that we hear Paul say is, by this gospel you were saved. And when we look at that word again, literally the Greek says you are being saved. And you see, we were saved, we're being saved, and ultimately we will be saved when our salvation is complete, when we see Jesus face to face in eternity. And Paul was one who loved to talk about that, that this salvation is a, is a process. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 he says that we are being changed from glory to glory. In other words, that should be an ongoing process in our life that we're looking more and more like Jesus every day and anticipating more and more and more being in His presence. Now, so that's what Paul reminds them of the foundation of the gospel and reminds them that they believed it, they heard it, they accepted it, and they were standing firm on it. But then he comes in verse 2 and he's got a condition upon it. 
And it's a little two-letter word. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says, by this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. That word if, two letters, that's a big word, isn't it? By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach. Otherwise you have believed in vain. The phrase there translated in vain literally means at random or without basis. See, Paul says if you're not holding firm to the truth of the gospel that I proclaim, then you've just got some kind of random faith that doesn't even have any basis whatsoever for its existence. That's pretty sad, isn't it? Now, I like the way Eugene Peterson, who translated or, or paraphrased the Bible into the message, says that, says that verse this way. He says, I'm assuming now that your belief was the real thing and not a passing fancy, that you're in this for good and holding fast. That's a great way to translate that, I think, because coming to know Christ is almost like a passing fancy for a lot of people. You hear the message of Christ and you say, that sounds good. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll believe in Jesus. And you just simply acknowledge that, and, and that's as far as you go. Or you might say, I love this teaching of Jesus. There's so much value that His teaching can add to my life. I think I'll just add that into my life. And that oftentimes it's put in there with all other kinds of value systems that the world just inundates us with. And that's not what Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about remember the foundation of the gospel, that it's on the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you believe that and you stand firm on that, then you will not be shaken. You won't doubt the resurrection. You won't doubt your resurrection. You won't doubt eternity in heaven. You will have no fear when you come to face death. If, Paul says, you hold strong, firmly to the word I preach to you. So this is the message that he begins with, a reminder, kind of a refresher course to them about the resurrection of Christ. Then the second thing I think Paul says to them is remember the facts of the gospel. And I've already kind of tipped my hand on that. Because when we look in verses 3 through 5, you find that the facts of the gospel can be found in four phrases that define the content of the gospel. In verse 3 Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He wants us to remember that when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just a random act of Jesus being crucified because the Jewish people were upset and the Roman government decided they would, they would quiet down this bunch of Jewish people and they would go ahead and nail Jesus to the cross and crucify Him. But this was the predetermined plan of God, according to the Scriptures, He says, that Jesus would come as the voluntary sacrifice for our sins so that our sins could be forgiven. You see, there were a lot of men who died by crucifixion on a Roman cross. But none of them but Jesus died voluntarily so that our sins could be forgiven and we would have a relationship with God. And Paul also points out that this was in accordance to the Scriptures, particularly the Old Testament. Uh, two that come to mind are in Leviticus 16 that talks about the Day of Atonement and the ultimate sacrifice. And then Isaiah 53 where the prophet Isaiah talks about uh, this suffering uh, servant, the, the Messiah who would come. And remember he said he would, be, he would be pierced through for our transgressions. Now the second phrase we find is in verse 4 that Paul says, and he was buried. 
So that's another affirmation that Paul says. Jesus literally died. He, he, he was buried. And, and, and he, was, he was buried because he died. And you know, there are all kinds of theories that are out there about the disciples came and they stole the body. Or Jesus really didn't die. He just kind of swooned into a faint. Well, if you read the gospel accounts, you'll find that the, the, the tomb was sealed in so many different ways that there were, and guards posted that there was no way that the disciples could come and steal the body. And then you think about what Jesus endured. Do you think he just had a swoon attack up there on the cross? He hadn't, hadn't had anything to drink or eat for about 15 to 20 hours. He went through all the brutality emotionally and physically that he had to undergo. He was, he was beaten until the, his body, inner part of his body was literally exposed. The bone, the sinew, the, the tissues because all the outer flesh was torn away. Then he had to carry his cross up to the hill. Then he was nailed to that cross. Then he was hung there in the elements for hours. Then they stuck a spear in his side. You try that and see if you swoon or if you die. You will die. And Jesus died and he was buried. And Paul affirms that. And then the next phrase is, is found in the fact that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, God who spoke the universe into being, spoke the words probably somewhere early before that Sunday morning and said, my son arise and Jesus came forth. You see, the tomb wasn't empty for us to go in and see the risen Lord. It was to see that he was already resurrected and gone. And so there's that affirmation that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And Jesus made reference to that. At one point in time in his teaching and his ministry, he said, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And then, too, you remember when the angels were confronted at the empty tomb on that resurrection morning by the women who came seeking the body of Jesus, that the angel said, Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? You see, all of that is according to Scripture. So it's kind of a summary of that process. Jesus died, but he's not now dead. Jesus was buried, but he's no longer in the tomb. Jesus was raised from death by the power of God, and he's now alive. And here's the fourth element found in verse 5, that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. You see, Paul puts in here the validation of the living, resurrected Christ because of the appearances that he made to people as he walked the face of the earth for those days after his resurrection. And it's interesting when you look at this, the people and how he appeared to them and the order in which he appeared. First to Peter. You know why I think he went to Peter? Because Peter was the one who openly denied him, publicly denied him, very boldly with an oath that he didn't know him. And in one of the resurrection accounts, Jesus says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. You know, he wanted Peter to know especially so that Peter would know that forgiveness. Then he appeared to the 12 disciples, and that's logical because they were the 12 chosen men who were to, to carry the message of Christ around the world. When they encountered the risen Christ, their lives were changed. They became bold instead of timid, scared men, scared out of their wits, locked behind a door in the upper room, and they literally turned the world upside down with the gospel. And legend tells us that every one of them died a violent life, death, 
because of their life that they lived to the glory of God, spreading the good news. Then he has said he appeared to 500, some who were still alive at that writing and some who weren't. Then he appeared to James, the half-brother of our Lord. And then he appeared to Paul. And Paul, I think, very humbly talks about that, who was one uh, out of place in that, that he didn't deserve to have that appearance and to be uh, an apostle. So there you have those four facts. Jesus died, he was buried, he was raised from the dead. He made public appearances after his resurrection. And you see, the saving effect, Paul wants us to understand, of the gospel is undermined if the resurrection of Jesus Christ is denied. That's why he says a little bit later on in verse 17, we'll look at next week, he says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. But it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ that validates the act of sacrifice on the cross and the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. And we know that He is the resurrection and the life. And because He lives, we too shall live. Then here's the third thing I think that Paul says in this writing uh, to this bunch of believers here in the church in Corinth. And he says, remember the life-changing effect of the resurrection. You see, the appearance of Jesus Christ after the resurrection had a profound life-changing effect upon people, didn't it? We've already talked about that, what it did for the disciples and how it changed them. The women who were first at the tomb, that they went away rejoicing and ready to share the good news. And then we see the birth of the church and how it grew from 120 people to where now it's around the world with, with millions of people who give testimony to the fact that their life was changed. It's just like uh, the choir saying today with Scott Solo, that when we encounter Christ, no, we want Paul, we want Peter, but when we encounter Him, He changes our life, and that changes the way we live, changes the way we walk, changes the way we talk. It changes everything about our life. And Paul, I think, is one of the prime examples of that. And that's what he's writing about in verses 8 through 11. See, Paul was an unbeliever. He was convinced that Jesus was dead. But when the living Savior, Jesus Christ, encountered Paul on the road to Damascus, Paul was changed. His entire life was changed. His focus was changed. And Paul's salvation was responsible for the faithfulness of his ministry. And when you look at how Paul was changed, you see in there the perfect pattern of salvation and how everybody's life has to be touched this way for it to be changed. First, he had a deep recognition of his own sin, and he saw himself as an enemy of God. Secondly, he experienced a revolution in his character from being an enemy of the church to being a church planner and the greatest ally that the church ever had. His life was changed from self-righteousness and hatred to sacrificial love. He was changed from being an oppressor to being a servant, from being an imprisoner to being a deliverer, from being a life taker to being a life giver, from being a judge to being a friend. And thirdly, he experienced a radical redirection of his, of his energy. You see, this is the part about Paul that, that I like so much. Before he met the Lord on the road to Damascus, Paul was bound and determined. His purpose in life, his mission in life, his goal in life was to squelch this church, this, this way that it was called. And, and, and he was so uh, committed to that purpose that he was willing to see people killed who dared to believe in Jesus Christ. He had a strong passion for that. But when, when, but when God got a hold of him on that road and he was radically transformed, he didn't, he didn't get up like a lot of us do after our transformation and we become meek and mild and timid. 
Paul had the same boundless energy and drive and passion and mission to proclaim the kingdom of God and to plant churches that he had previously had to destroy the church of God. You see, it was his encounter with the risen Lord that gave him purpose and meaning and mission in life. And it does the same thing to us. It makes a dramatic change in our life. There are a lot of celebrities out there that we could uh, talk about with some change in their life, a lot of them who need a change in their life. And and sometimes I'm hesitant to to, uh, to bring them up because a lot of times it's not long after they take a stand for Christ that they're in hot water for doing something else. But um, I read an interesting story this week about a band that I never heard of before. Maybe some of you are familiar with it called Megadeth. Any of you know that one? Anybody familiar with that one at all? Maybe one or two hands. Maybe it's good most of you don't. I never heard of it. But they're heavy metal, heavy metal band. And one guy in there by the name of David Ellison uh, did the typical thing. He, he, he was in the band early at 25 years of age, on the road, into drugs, alcohol, all those kinds of things. And he knew his life had gotten away from him. Meanwhile, Megadeth, and they got the name of that band because uh, it comes from a measurement equal to the death of one million people by nuclear explosion. And so that's why they're a heavy metal band. They had released 16 albums, sold more than 30 million records, and received 10 Grammy nominations. But David Ellefson's life was at rock bottom. He had to go into the 12-step treatment process. And it was there he came to claim faith. And his life was radically transformed. He now lives in Arizona. He's a member of a Lutheran church there. He has organized a band entitled Mega Life. And he says it's partially a play on the word mega death. He said, but it's also about my ministry and the ministry of Jesus Christ. Where Jesus said the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You see, we might not all have the same life transforming experience that he did or that Paul had. But somewhere in our life, we have to have that experience with Christ that radically transforms our life. So that we have a new sense of destiny, a new sense of purpose, a new sense of mission. And we have the power of God to drive us to complete that mission and that purpose in life. And also, so that when we go back here to the beginning of this message and I ask you about the fear of death, so that you don't have any more fear of death. So, as we come to the end of this first message, so where are you? Are you still, are you scared to death of dying? Are you just still wondering what happens after life when it ends in this world? Do you believe that there is a life out there? Well, you better believe because there is one. Uh, You're resurrected and you spend eternity in one place or the other, either in hell or hell. And so, you need to make a decision about Christ. You need to go back and look at what Paul says about the foundation of the gospel. Jesus died for you. He, he was buried because He was dead. He was brought back from the dead by the power of God. And it's that same power to transform your life. And Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And because He lives, we too shall live if we believe in Him. That's that conditional word, if, that Paul says. Otherwise, your faith is in vain. If you got it in something else other than the risen Lord Jesus Christ, then you've got a faith that's vain. You've got one that's empty, it's meaningless, it has no basis. So, where are you today? See, most of us probably aren't totally sold out like Paul was. I got a book I would suggest that you read entitled, Not a Fan. 
Because Jesus doesn't want us just to simply be a fan. He wants us to be a sold out committed follower. I think there are a couple of classes maybe going to start studying that. And it is a profound book. It's simple but it's profound. But it challenges us about that. That's what Paul is challenging the Corinthians here. They were adolescent in their faith. They had a lot of issues they had to deal with. Paul said, let me remind you of the gospel. Build your life upon that foundation. Stand firm upon it. Live with that power of God because he has not given us, as he wrote to Timothy, a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline. Other places say a sound mind. And Peter says that God has given us a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so there we have it today, the reality of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The decision is yours as to how you will live. Whether you're going to be sold out to Him, whether you're going to be a fan, or whether you're going to be a completely committed follower of Christ. Whether you're going to live in fear of death, or whether you're going to embrace death as a means to eternal life and eternity in the presence of God in heaven forever and ever and ever. What do you believe this morning? What are you willing to accept? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for the resurrection of our Savior Jesus Christ, for the reality of His resurrection from the dead, all on our behalf, but yet to bring You glory and honor and praise. The resurrection of Jesus Christ that takes away any fear that we might have of death, any fear that we might have of judgment. Because we know that we are committed to You. We stand in fast on the Gospel. And we will be raised to a resurrection of life instead of a resurrection of judgment and death. And so I pray, Father, for those in here who are believers that we will be sold out to Jesus. And that we will live for Him. And the power of the resurrection will live through us. And I pray for those who have not yet come to embrace Christ as Savior. And acknowledge His resurrection. And committed their life to Him totally and completely. And I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit they will be led to make that decision. And I ask that in Jesus' name, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Our Lord and Savior, Christ Jesus. Amen.